0: hello again grace point it is so good to be back with you i am so excited for this morning uh joshua chapter 6 just it is such a blessing to be back with you walking again through god's word and such a cool passage Today, we're going to be looking at the first city, the first battle of the Israelites and the land promised to them by God. And today, we're going to be looking at the first victory given them by God. We're going to walk through this historical event together and we're going to pull out some principles that we see them doing that are going to help us hopefully better with our lives, walk in victory for victory for the glory of God's name. So, I'm going to go ahead and pray and we got to get right to it because I had way too much fun, and I gave you guys way too much information for this. So let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you that you would, by your grace, allow us to know who you are, call us to yourself, and give us the graceful gift of repentance that we could know you and have faith in you. And so, Father, I pray that this faith would be a faith that transforms us by your grace into obedient followers into obedient people who love you and love our community and father I pray for those in the congregation of Grace Point specifically Lord who are battling whatever it may be Lord whether it's battling ambivalence or apathy Lord whether it's battling a physical disease Lord whether it's an emotional trauma or there's an issue in their family life or in a relationship father I pray for those people today Lord, that you would give them strength, that they would seek you for strength and that ultimately they would seek you for resolution and victory. And so Father, as we look to Joshua 6, as we look to these principles, I pray that you would give us eyes to see them more clearly, hearts to understand them more deeply and hands to live them out more effectively. Father, it's in your name by the grace of Jesus that we pray, amen. Let's go ahead and begin Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. In this first section, we see God promise victory to Joshua as well as the Israelites. We see uh, an unlikely situation though, right? In verse 1, Jericho is shut up. Nobody's going in. Nobody's coming out. Um, And so it doesn't really look like that. Jericho is the first city. Once you cross, it's not a big city necessarily, but it is a well fortified city. And so for the city in verse one to be locked up, no one coming in and out. This is not the most promising scene for Israel to see. And yet in verse two, we see a spoken truth yet to be discovered by Joshua. God tells him, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. It's king and it's mighty men of valor. This is a city known for its militant capabilities. And so God t- says to Joshua, I've given you this city. This is the first time we see ultimately a realization of God's promise from Joshua chapter one, even in verse three, we, we remember that, that God says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given it to you just as I promised to Moses. And then we even remember in chapter 2, we had Rahab even saying as much to the spice and into the city of Jericho originally. She says to them, and I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. We see even from God's perspective, I've given you the land. And then we've seen from man or woman, in this case Rahab's perspective, their enemies saying God has clearly, we understand has given you this land. And yet Jericho has shut itself up. Jericho is prepared for a siege. And God tells Joshua in spite of this, even though it may seem impossible, I have given you this land. And then we see in verse three to five, God tells us this. God tells Joshua, I've given you this. This is victorious. You will own this. This will be yours. And then we see that sometimes God calls us to do things in a way only he can get the credit or the glory. In verses 3 through 5, he gives the instructions for how uh, Israel is going to take Jericho. And you can do a Google of this. There has been no strategy of a siege before we see this and uh, you have no no other army has tried to go about vic- being victorious over a siege since then this is not a popular or military strategy at all to do what Israel was told to do by Yahweh he tells him go around the city once a day for six days and then on the seventh we're going to go seven times and then we're going to blow and you're going to shout and he says And the city, the wall of the city in verse 5, will fall down flat and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. This is not a common yet or even really a um, repeated military strategy. But I also want us to take a second and look at Joshua's response. God gives seemingly unrealistic, impractical, untenable never before attempted and never since attempted either military battle strategy for this. And so Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant. Let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city and let the armed men pass on before the Ark Of the Lord. I want us to take a second and look at Joshua's response. There's no questioning. God tells him to do something seemingly detached from reality, and Joshua doesn't question it. God calls Joshua to do something, militarily speaking, never done before, and there's no arguing from Joshua. All we see is obedience. And it brings to bear the first principle that we can gain from this historical event. Faith in God leads to obedience to God. You see, God's ways are not our ways. And that's a good thing. This doesn't make sense. This this is not repeated. Nobody has ever said, let's march around the siege. A lot of times it involved battering rams and building counter towers and 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 instruments of warfare that would lob things over into the city or trying to find and poison a water source. Not this time. This time, it will clearly be God's victory. God calls us to things in our life. God calls us to victory in our life that only he can give us. All it requires of us is our obedience to him. In verses 1 through 7, we saw victory promised, and now we get to see the victory pursued. God has given the instructions, Joshua has communicated those to Israel, and now we get to see Israel's response and follow through to God's instructions in verses 8 through 14. And Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord, went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on and blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them and the rear guard walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. I want us to take a moment and look at how Israel Is proceeding through this they are doing exactly what God has done and there's a reason it doesn't necessarily make a lot of military sense because there's something else going on there's some different imagery we get to see here this actually is less about military strategy these horns that they're talking about have ultimately two different purposes one is to a call to war but two is a call to action and worship and devotion to the Lord and so it's, it's cool that we get to see this because it, what we're seeing in this proceeding and this marching and this, this symbolism is less about military strategy. It's less about a battle. It actually looks more like a religious liturgy than a battle formation. So what we get to see is Israel in doing this, in their obedience to God, and in an ancient Near Eastern symbology, they're establishing worship for Yahweh around somewhere they've already experienced victory. And yet, the walls still are standing, the gates still are shut, no one is going in, and no one is coming out. Now let's take a moment and let's consider the perspective of those in Jericho. Constantly in the day. Sieged, you're under pressure, you don't know what's going on, the city walls are there, but you know that there's an army on the other side who is all but guaranteed a victory if it comes to blows. So consider this, you have the horns blasting, but then if you look, you have these men quietly walking in a religious procession around your city. You, you, you would think the people in Jericho would start to ask questions. Why aren't they attacking? When will they attack? What, what do they know? What gate didn't we lock? What hole didn't we cover? Did they poison our water supply? What are they doing? Are they scared? But remember how their God parted the Jordan? Remember the kings on the other side? And I think we, what we need to remember in this situation is that oftentimes victory requires endurance. We see all these questions from those in, in Jericho, but then we also need to consider the perspective of those going about this procession around the city in Israel. The people of Israel are, are marching. The men of valor, the the soldiers are going before, the priests are blaring the trumpets, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is going before. These men are not saying anything, and yet they are fully exposed to any attack from those on top of the walls in Jericho. They They are, in a way, at the mercy of the world around them. And yet they walk. There's endurance because they know that God has promised them victory. And God has told them how to achieve that victory. And so they endure the days with the hiking and the walking and the sound and the not talking. And they endure because they know that God has promised them something on the other side of this. And so we need to remember also that oftentimes victory is on the other side of endurance. Victory is requires endurance okay church we have seen god promise victory we have seen israel pursue victory and now in verses 15 through 25 what i call kind of the crux of this chapter we get to see israel possess that victory and so we're going to walk through this a little bit differently i'm going to stop and point out some principles as we go along so starting in verse 15. on the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of the day And marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are within her house shall live. Because she hid the messengers whom we sent. And then in verse 18 and 19, we have some principles I want to pull out. But you, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. Lest when you've devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. Now I want us to pause and see... Uh, principle here. This is not Israel and saying all of these things go to the Lord. This is not them simply saying all the shiny things go to God. God likes shiny things. What what we're seeing here is we're actually seeing a military practice of this day where those, the general would command the army and then all of the people under him, some people would be over platoons and whatnot, but those who fought valiantly made great gains or held off an enemy attack or were very strategic or, or something along those lines. If you fought valiantly with great bravery and you made great gains on behalf of your military, you got more spoils from the victory. But what we see Israel doing here is putting into practice what they already confessed to believe. And that is in this case that God is the warrior who fights and wins on their behalf. And so who do the spoils go to they go to god so that's the that's our version when we say hey solely deo gloria or hey all the glory goes to god what we're saying is god is the one who fights and wins on our behalf and so all the glory and all of our victories in this life goes to god and then we pick back up in verse 20. so upon these instructions The people shouted and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people just went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. And I wanna take us, give us a second to just kind of pause Because I can understand in verse 21, how some or many even might think that this is unnecessary or harsh to kill everyone, man, woman, young and old, oxen, sheep, donkeys, with the edge of the sword. I can understand you might think that that's harsh or that that's unnecessary. So I want us to take a second and think about this. Remember the actions of these people. They have had plenty of time to turn to God. Remember all the way back hundreds and hundreds of years, generations and generations ago, Abraham is talking to God and God in Genesis chapter 15 says their punishment is not yet complete. They have not earned what they're going to get. And so we, we hundreds of years ago, we knew that they had an opportunity, like Nineveh in the book of Jonah, if they would turn and repent, God would save them. But God knew that they wouldn't, and that what was in store for them was hundreds of years in the making. So they have spent hundreds of years choosing to do what they're going to do. Now I remember even in, in this time of of the book of Joshua, they hunted the spies that went to Rahab's house. And they did not hunt the spies so that they could say, Hey, your God is the one true God. How do we become your people to worship and engage your God in a merciful manner. No, no, no. They hunted the spies to kill them. And then remember that in verse one, Jericho had shut up its walls. No one came in and no one went out. And what that also is implying is that nobody came out to meet Israel in the ancient fashion and say, how do we want to do this battle? What will it take for us to not battle? There was no discussion of, of militant strategy there was no discussion of how the battle will will go forth what they did in that was they shut their gates and they declared war all-out war on the people of israel it's like today just as people close themselves off to the gospel today so jericho closed themselves off and just as when they close themselves off to the gospel today they choose their destruction instead of life in christ jericho closed themselves off and chose their destruction and then I would also encourage you from the perspective of Israel and God's perspective of Israel to remember the stakes. You see, God is establishing his people. There is no room for sin. The culture of this people, of these people in Jericho and those in, in the promised land in general, would corrupt and it would mutate Israel's DNA. And like cancer, it would grow and it would ultimately kill their relationship with God. And this isn't just an Old Testament practice. There's no room for sin here. And now think of Colossians chapter three. Remember, we talked about how you set your mind on the things that are above and on Christ who's seated at the right hand of the father. And then because we do that, Paul instructs us by the spirit of God, therefore, put to death that which is earthly among you he says to kill without mercy put this to death and ultimately what we're seeing here is a perspective issue and i want us to take a moment and correct this it's an issue about sin you see god takes sin seriously and we need to take our sin as seriously as god does and so this is why you see this instructions and this action carried out. But there is grace in this because they don't kill everybody. Remember Rahab, she turned and she, she understood. And so it says in verse 22, but to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house, bring out from there, the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies, they went in, they brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and all who belonged to her and they brought out all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel and they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put in the treasury and the, of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So I want us to remember verse 24, of course, to take any of the spoils is to rob God and claim you deserve to withhold something from God. You put yourself in his place. You say you are the victor. But then in verse 25, I want us to take a second and look at this. Remember, she has lived in Israel to this day because she had the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. This is proof that this is an historical event. And this helps us understand when this book was written within a generation of these events, eyewitnesses to this event. This is the, effectively the author saying, don't believe me, just ask her. But I also want us to see this. Obedience to God equals salvation. Rahab exemplifies obedience of repentance. She turned from her culture from her heritage, from her history, from her status. She turned from her worldview. She turned from everything. And along with her household, she was saved. You see, Rahab's faith and obedience in faith gained her preservation by God and a place among his people because he had a purpose for her life. We read again in James, in the the faith and works chapter, works proving faith, Rahab is an example. James says in verse 25 of chapter two, and in the same way, was not also Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? And we see in today's text of Joshua, yes, she was. Her faith led to repentance, ultimately found in obedience and her obedience was her salvation. We have seen God promise victory. We have seen Israel pursue victory. We have seen Israel finally possess that victory. And now through Joshua, um, these final two verses, we get to see the preservation of that victory. Starting in verse 26, Joshua laid an oath on Israel at that time, saying, Curse before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds the city Jericho. So he's not saying curse before me or, hey, you got a bone to pick with the people of Israel. He's saying this is between you and the Lord. You will have to answer to him if you rebuild this city. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation. And at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. Now in verses or verse 26, we see what I'm going to call it just an oath upheld. Right? So Joshua lays this oath on the people of Israel, and this isn't simply, as we see, an oath for this generation. This is an oath that goes on as long as God is alive. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. Now, those are bookends to construction. You lay a foundation first, and then when you're finished with the city, you set up the gates. And we see this actually comes to fruition. These these this oath that Joshua lays on Israel does not die at Joshua's death. No, no, no. God still holds this. In 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 34, we're reading about this reign of Ahab at the end. And Ahab was a horrible king. He did more to provoke the Lord the God of Israel, to, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Verse 34 says, And in his day, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Sigub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not take his words lightly. And do not build for yourself what God has destroyed for your good. It's like a dog going back and eating its vomit. God has saved us from things. God has given us victory over things in our life. Sins that we couldn't kick until he, by his grace, did it. Addictions we couldn't get over until he, by his grace, freed us. Relationships that we shouldn't have been in, that were toxic or abusive, that God gave us a way out of. Do not build back for yourself what God has destroyed for your good. And then in verse 27, it says, So the Lord is with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. God told Joshua, I am going to make your name great people will know who you are everywhere you go belongs to you i'm with you always trust me and i will make your name great so we see here already in the first battle joshua's name is in all the land you see joshua's faith and obedience gained him prestige among the nations because he walked powerfully in god's purpose for his life joshua had faith to obey and in his faith and obedience he found victory in walking intimately with God well Grace Point thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to be with you again to dig into this Joshua chapter 6 and this battle of Jericho with and for you um, just all these principles coming out and I, I think if there's one way we could sum up Joshua chapter 6 it would be this faith in God leads to obedience to God, leads to victory with God. You see, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 mentions Jericho and even Rahab in their obedience. And he says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So you see, faith in God, leads to obedience to God, leads to victory in God. So I want to encourage you, please remember, whatever God has called you to, God does not lose. So whatever mountain you feel like you're climbing, whatever wall you feel like you're walking around, I would encourage you to remember, if God has called you to it, God will walk you through it. So do it with endurance for the name of God. But remember, nobody in this text today walked around that wall alone. They walked with each other. The people of God are called to bear each other's burdens because that will make the load light. So whatever you're going through, share it with the people of God so the people of God around you can walk with you through that. And finally, I would ask you this, this one final question. What in your life needs to die that you can live for God? Ultimately, I, I remember the prayer of Psalm 139, right? Verses 30, 23 and 24, where he says, Lord, search my heart and know me. Let me know. Let me see if there's anything within me that would keep me from you. And when you read that and you meditate on that, you simply, when you dedicate yourself in the morning to God's service, maybe just add this a little bit on. God, give me strength to kill today what would keep me from you tomorrow. I love you, Grace Point. I am praying for you. I am polling for you. We are thinking of you. We miss you. We can't wait until we get to see you again, whenever that may be. We love you. Go change the world.